This is the account of Jesus feeding the 5,000. The apostles gathered round and reported to Jesus all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. So the disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it them to eat? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then then Jesus told them to make all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Well, here's the word of God in the scriptures. So, it's your 177th anniversary. Congratulations on that. 1843, the church was founded. I was trying to get my mind around that. My grandfather was born in 1900. My great-grandfather was born in 1873. I don't know when my great-great-grandfather was born, but it was probably in the 1850s. So, this The founding of this church was in the childhood of my great-great-great-great-grandfather, as far as I can tell. That is a long time ago. I'm not sure if you've been able all to meet together here in the building if you would have had a cake with 177 candles on it. That might have been a bit of a fire hazard. Although I was thinking that during the pandemic, we've all learned that when it comes to uh, blowing out candles on our cake, you shouldn't do it with your mouth, obviously, so you've got to get a hairdryer on the job. And I think you'd certainly need a hairdryer to blow out 177 candles on your cake. I had a little look at some of the history of Airdrie Baptist Church. I know some of you will know this very well, maybe others not quite so much. In 1842, Francis Johnston came from Cooper to lead a mission in Airdrie, and many people were converted to Christ through that. Around the same time, a man called James Taylor 
came into the picture. Now, this isn't the James Taylor, the American singer who had that massive hit with You've Got a Friend. This is James Taylor, who was the congregational minister in Airdrie at the time. And he'd recently become convinced that a Baptist way of doing church was more thoroughly biblical than the one that he'd been practicing. So he resigned as congregational minister, and he gathered around him some of those new converts, and I think some people who'd been part of an earlier Baptist cause in Airdrie as well, and they, I suppose he probably said to them, you've got a friend, which would have been very appropriate, and gathered them around him, and they began to be a praying, worshipping, Bible-centered community together, a Baptist church. And um, that was in 1842. The following year, in 1843, that group of people decided that it would be great to have a recognizable presence in the church, and so they built the first Airdrie Baptist Church building, which I think was just down here on Graham Street, if I understand correctly. Well, think of all the people who've been part of this church since then, in those 177 years. Fraser was just celebrating and giving thanks to God for some of them in the prayer. People have gone out in world mission. People who've uh, led Christian endeavor. People who've faithfully served Christ here. Think of all those people, young and old, rich and poor, locals and incomers, who've been part of this church. I wonder... How many people have come to faith in Christ in Airdrie Baptist Church? Hundreds, maybe thousands. I wonder how many people have been equipped and strengthened for a life of discipleship through this church. That will certainly be many thousands. I wonder how many, well, how many Sundays people have faithfully worshipped here, or in recent times, faithfully connected digitally with worship. I did the math, and there have been 9,204 Sundays in the last 177 years. So I guess that's how many Sundays Airdrie Baptist Church has met. But then, of course, it's not only about the Sundays, we all know that. Following Jesus is whole life discipleship, seven days a week. So in 177 years, that's 64,649 days of discipleship, of following Jesus, of worshipping Jesus, of trusting Jesus, of witnessing to Jesus by Airdrie Baptist Church. Hallelujah. The theme this morning is abundance. And I think as you look back over all God has done over the years, you see abundance. What do you think Francis Johnston expected when he came in 1842 from Cooper to lead that mission in Airdrie? A few converts, maybe a few dozen converts. He probably went home rejoicing that many people had come to Christ. But I wonder if he really envisaged that through his efforts here, so many people would be impacted right through to 2020 and beyond. Or what about James Taylor? What did he expect when he gathered those new converts together 177 years ago, 178 years ago, I suppose? A church that would last for a few years? Did he think even that the church would last into the next generation? James Taylor himself actually left quite soon after the church was founded. But did he envisage the church would be worshipping and witnessing in Jesus' name? five, six, seven generations later. 
in the words of Ephesians 3.20, God does immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Abundance. And that brings us to today's Bible passage. Jesus has been teaching a crowd in a remote place. It's a big crowd. His disciples did a rough head count, and they figured there were about 5,000 people there. In fact, they might only have counted the men, and there may well have been a lot of other people there, women and children. 5,000. Now, I thought that must be the kind of crowd that Adrianians dream of. That is about half the capacity of the Penny Cars Stadium. That would be great, wouldn't it, to gather together. But the disciples are really, really thoughtful, compassionate people. And they say to Jesus, these people are hungry. They need some refreshments. This is a remote place. Send them to the surrounding villages to buy some food to eat. To which, to their surprise, Jesus replies, you give them something to eat. They immediately think about the scarcity. They haven't got enough money for that. It would take six months' wages to feed all these people. Well, we know that Jesus is going to do an extraordinary miracle of abundance, but at first, the disciples only see scarcity. When we don't trust the guaranteed abundance of God, we start trying to make up the shortfall from our own resources. And that's what those disciples did. So Jesus starts to teach them something. He says, well, tell me about your resources. What have you got? And again, they see scarcity. It's a mere five loaves, oh, and two fish as well. That's hopelessly inadequate. That's not even enough for everyone to have a single crumb. But Jesus performs a miracle, a miracle of abundance. He takes the bread and he gives thanks to God, and he breaks the loaves, and he gives the food to the disciples to distribute to all the 5,000 people. And it says, they all ate and were satisfied. And in fact, they had 12 bags of crumbs of leftovers still at the end. Jesus powerfully demonstrates the generosity of God. God has enough for us. Where we might see scarcity, he offers abundance. Why is Airdrie Baptist Church still on the road after 177 years, still on mission here for Jesus? Is it simply because you have had a long series of gifted, hard-working people leading the church through hard times or through good times and bad? Is it because you've appointed some great ministers over the years? Is it because you've pursued high standards? None of those things are unimportant and they're all to be celebrated. But the reason we are here is because of God's abundance. Because in and through and among and over and above all that faithfulness, he has been at work by his spirit, building his church, equipping his people, pouring out his spirit, letting his gospel form a people who proclaim that gospel. Grace is not scarce. And it never has been in the life of Airdrie Baptist Church. Grace abounds and there is more than enough for everyone. Mercy is not scarce. 
God overflows with mercy. And there's more than enough to forgive all our sins, and there always has been for 177 years and longer. Love is not scarce. God the Father, God our Father in heaven, who loves us, has done so with eternal faithfulness. Glory is not scarce. The unfathomable riches of God's nature are revealed in all creation and supremely in His Son, Jesus Christ, for all to see. It is because of this fundamental abundance, this generosity of God, that we are set free from living in a scarcity mindset. In the Garden of Eden... Adam and Eve turned their backs on the plenitude that God had given them and instead chose the scarcity of the one fruit that God had told them they couldn't eat. Or think of the Pharaoh of Egypt who introduced scarcity. The Egyptians were already his slaves. the, The Israelites were already his slaves. They were already making bricks for him. And then he says, I'm going to introduce scarcity. I'm going to I'm going to not give you the straw anymore. You're now going to have to make bricks without straw provided. It was a travesty that contrasts with the God of the Exodus who provides his people with manna from heaven with such guaranteed abundance that they don't even need to collect enough manna for tomorrow because they know that God will provide abundantly tomorrow as he did today. Wasn't it funny back in March and April, when toilet rolls became a thing, when suddenly there was a shortage, there was a scarcity, there was panic buying, because somehow at the start of this pandemic, our reaction as a society in part was scarcity. What if there's not enough? How can my resources be sufficient to keep me going? You know, my parents were children in the Second World War, and they grew up in the post-war period of rationing and, I suppose, a level of scarcity then. And uh, my dad uh, worked in a, in a cotton mill in Lancashire and was never really very well paid for doing that. So, as a child, I inherited a sense of frugality. Be careful with your money. Shop around for bargains was the ethos. Now, I'm not faulting that, because that's still pretty much my value in life now. But one thing I've realized over the years is that being frugal, or we might even say prudent, can affect my ability to celebrate abundance when it is there. I sometimes wonder if I'd been in the crowd with Jesus as he was feeding the 5,000 people, if I could really have enjoyed it for its sheer abundance. Or would I have been thinking about scarcity? What about tomorrow? If Jesus is going to teach again, will he do the same miracle again? Or had I maybe better keep a bit of the loaves and fish here for tomorrow as a snack, just in case I need it then? Do you know the genius of a church anniversary is that it's a day to celebrate God's abundance. Some people may be thinking, we've got a few challenges in the church at the moment, Pretty much every church has. I'm sure you are no different. Or you might be saying, well, we really could do with getting a new minister soon. Or if only we had a bigger congregation, or indeed a congregation that could meet in the same room. They're not wrong questions. God says to us, as 
I know he often says to me, sometimes you need to switch off the scarcity mindset and just enjoy my abundance. This church anniversary is a day to say, let's just enjoy God's abundance. Now, let me be really, really clear. What I'm talking about here is not what some people call the prosperity gospel, which is in fact no gospel at all. A view that says, if you follow Jesus, God will give you all your financial desires, he'll make you rich, he'll give you the house of your dreams and the car you always wanted. That, unfortunately, is too much tinged with greed and selfishness to have anything to do with the kingdom of God. The point is not that we demand abundance of our choosing from God, but that we become attentive to his abundance. In the situation I'm in now, where is the abundance of God? What has God provided abundantly for you right now? That's why weekly worship matters so much. We come together saying, whatever my condition, whatever my state of mind, whatever I'm facing, whatever I'm feeling, I choose to declare God's greatness and God's goodness in these songs of praise. Hope you were singing along at home this morning. In these prayers, I am choosing to be attentive to God's abundance. Anxiety comes our way when we live as though God is not enough for us, when we think it's down to us, when we think it's all about how many loaves and fish we have, when we think abundance is something we have to supply ourselves. Instead of believing with the Apostle Paul, my God will supply all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Sometimes instead of that, we grow exhausted from the anxiety that mistrusts the generosity of God. We can think about our money with a scarcity mindset. We think, hmm, better make sure I've got enough for myself before I start giving anything away. Forgetting that Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be given to you. Or we can think about our responsibilities with a scarcity mindset. What if I can't do what's required of me? What if I'm not up to it? What if I look foolish? Yet God's resources are sufficient. He has made us who we are, and his strength and power are sufficient for each day, and in fact are even made perfect in our weakness. We can regard this pandemic with a scarcity mindset. Look at all the things we haven't got that we should have, we might say. Normal gatherings with friends, can't have them. Normal gatherings for worship, we can't have it. Confidence that we can go out without infecting someone or being infected, we don't have it. Not to mention those more serious concerns of people whose health has already been affected by the virus or people whose jobs are at risk or have been lost because of the economic downturn. But in the midst of this, God still speaks to us of his abundance. There is still no shortage of grace. There is still no shortage of glory. There is still no shortage of mercy. There is still no shortage of love. 
And in fact, these things are being embodied in abundant new ways in the church and indeed in society more widely in these times. Some people, not everyone, but some people have discovered an abundance of time during this pandemic. Time for Zoom calls with family or friends, or time to learn Spanish or perfect their sourdough. Some people have discovered an abundance of nature. Through taking regular walks, they've started noticing trees and plants and animals so much more. Some people have discovered the abundance of, the, of generosity from people who've been kind to them, who've been shopping for them, who've been uh, keeping uh, in touch with them regularly by phone to make sure they're okay, even though they live on their own. Some people have discovered the abundance of God's presence. Even though we haven't been able to meet in our buildings for worship in the usual ways, God's presence has been abundantly real and even palpable in our homes as we've gathered digitally, as indeed we're doing right now. A few years ago, I was a minister of a church in Worcester, and God taught me something really important about abundance. We, uh, we by God's grace, the church had grown and was, uh, was really felt to be in a place of blessing. But another church, a Baptist church right in the city centre, we were just south of the city centre, had been really struggling. It was actually a very old church, the church that had originally planted our church. But it had dwindled to a few older members, wonderful, faithful people, but a vast building and um, barely anyone in the church younger than 70 and just a small handful of people. And uh, a new minister came to that church and was talking with them about the future. And he came to see me and he said, Martin, would you send 30 people to our church, from your church? Because if they came, we think we could revive things here. Now, you know, I did what any minister does when you think about losing 30 people. Ah! You know, people, you know, everyone in the church seems to be deployed. The church budget seems to need everyone's giving. How could we give away 30 people? But we decided we had to take it seriously. We called a prayer meeting, in fact, a series of prayer meetings to pray about this. We asked particularly people who might feel they wanted to be part of this or God was calling them to be part of a kind of replanting of this other church to uh, come forward uh, to, to pray together and see if God really was in that. And sure enough, just over 30 people felt this was really the right thing to do. And so over a, it was about a period of about a year, we had conversations about how this church could be revived and redeveloped. And then we had a Sunday and these people all went there. And you know, I was so worried. Many of the people were from the north side of the city because they'd been passing this church on their way to our church on the south side of the city. Now on the whole, the north side of Worcester is richer than the south side. And whilst as a minister I've never known what anyone gives to the church, I surmised that the people from the north side were giving generously from their wealth to the church. And also many of the people were people who were in strategic and important roles in, in the church at the current time. And they were going to live, give those up and leave gaps. And I said, God, if you're in this, you will have to show your abundance. And you know, to my amazement, these people went out and... Over the coming year or two, the church in the city centre was turned around, and now it's a lovely, thriving church. And within a year from them leaving, the roles that they had left empty had been filled by other people in the church. Many more new people came to our church, 
and the giving that was lost was made up within 12 months. And I just thought, Lord, you're a God of abundance. And when we give, you bless us beyond our expectations, not for our own prosperity and well-being, but for the sake of your kingdom. So, the word this morning is, don't let scarcity blind you to God's abundance. The church's anniversary is a celebration of God's abundance, and that reminds us that daily God invites us to notice his abundance. Abundance doesn't mean the absence of suffering, and it isn't the promise of inevitable material prosperity. It's the discovery that God is pouring out good gifts in the wilderness. It's manna and quail and water from the rock. It's the peace God grants in our hearts. It's kindness demonstrated to friends and neighbors in new ways. It's the opportunity this present disruption gives us to notice what is truly important in life. Jesus came to give us life in abundance to lead us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, to dwell in the abundance of God's grace and the fullness of his Spirit. The crucifixion of Jesus looked like the ultimate story of scarcity. Jesus' life had literally run out. This time it wasn't a shortage of bread and fish. It was a shortage of breath in his body. There was no more breath. But out of scarcity, God brought abundance. And on the third day, resurrection life coursed through Jesus' body. He was filled with new life, the abundant life of eternity. And so, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we live daily in anticipation of the coming kingdom of God where justice and joy are plentiful, and Christ is all in all. So let's keep our faith in the abundance of God, the grace of God, the abundant life he renewed at his resurrection, and that he gives to us each day.